Hello there. Uh, welcome to uh, our Bible study. I um, want to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this Thursday. And we pray God's riches and choices blessing upon you. We hope that so far you've had a great week. And we pray that the Lord will continue to uh, bless you as far as the rest of your uh, week is concerned. Um, we want to today focus on Second uh, Peter. Uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 10 through the end of that chapter, and um, really through the end of that particular letter. And so we're going to uh, close out uh, this time of study, uh, finishing up uh, Second Peter. But before we get started, what I would like for us to do, if we could, to bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense and seek uh, God's presence as far as this time of teaching is concerned. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word one more time, to learn more of you. And we pray right now, God, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you will be in our midst, teach us your precepts, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself mighty and strong, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Second Peter, Second Peter uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. This is going to be the summation of um, Peter's letter uh, to the church. And we're going to do really a deep dive as far as what the day of the Lord looks like and what it is that God expects for us to do. And of course, we have a lot of folks who like to talk about the rapture and like to talk about um, um, premillennial and postmillennial and pre-trib and post-trib and all that stuff. And Honestly speaking, uh, I'll be honest, uh, the way that a lot of folks think this stuff is going to go down ain't going to be the way it's going to go down. And I'm even talking about the idea of rapture, um, which is, if you really read the scriptures, um, we don't necessarily see it like that. However, what I do want to uh, help us understand is what the day of the Lord looks like. And the day of the Lord, uh, we're going to really unpack that in a very meaningful way that I hope and pray will do several things. Number one, that will give you a sense of blessed hope and anticipation and give you the insight on how God would expect and desire for you to live your life in the here and now. Second of all, uh, what it is that God really desires uh, from us and what do you and I uh, give God that God deserves? And um, as we continue to unpack this, it really boils down to this one fundamental thing. That as we come into a greater understanding of who God is through Jesus Christ uh, and we apply it to our lives, we should be made better. So. What I want to do is I want to unpack this and, and let's start at verse 10. Let's start at verse 10 and, and um, really look at some things because if I'm able to at least help you to understand what the day of the Lord is as well as um, how we are to live in the here and now, it is my hope and prayer that even in the craziness and the chaos of the culture that we find ourselves right now, that you will be able to navigate and move as far as your life is concerned with a sense of hope, joy, 
and expectation. So that being said, verse 10, um, um, and we're going to kind of, as we go through this, mark up the text. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Highlight that phrase, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and underline the words day of the Lord in which the heavens will pass away with great noise. Highlight the phrase, the heavens will pass away with great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Highlight the phrase, elements will melt with fervent heat. Circle the word elements. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons are you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens and of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So, if you would highlight this. Uh, highlight what manner of persons in verse 11, highlight all of that through the end of verse 12. Then in verse 12, underline the phrase, the coming of the day of God. Then if you also circle the word elements in verse 12 and take that back to elements in verse 10. All right, did y'all catch that? Elements in verse 12 and take that back to, and circle that word to elements in verse 10. All right. As we continue to go through this, verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness shall dwell. If you would uh, highlight all of verse 13 and underline the words new heavens and new earth. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, circle the word beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. If you would highlight the phrase without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Verse 16, as also in all his epistles, if you will highlight the phrase, his epistles, speaking in things, in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught, underline the phrase untaught, and unstable people, underline the phrase unstable people, twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. If you would highlight the phrase, twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. If you would highlight the phrase, beware lest you fall also from your own steadfastness. Being led away with the error of the wicked. Verse 18, but grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. If you would highlight all of that in verse 18. Got a lot of territory to cover and a little time to cover it. But I want to start with verse 10 as we really begin to unpack. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Now, we see something here in this pericope or a passage of scripture in verses 10 through verses 13. In verse 10, we see day of the Lord. In verse 12, we see the coming of the day of God. And is there a distinction between the two? I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But let's talk about what the day of the Lord is. The day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back and it deals with the judgment of God upon earth. And really, there are those who think that, that, that this is talking about the rapture. Um, uh, many people have read uh, Tim LaHaye's book, uh, Left Behind and things like that. And I want to let you all know that ain't how this stuff is going to happen. As a matter of fact, nobody knows really how it's going to happen. So really what Peter is trying to get us to understand is that the day of the Lord will come when the person or when we least expect it, like a thief that comes in the night. You don't expect for a thief to come and break into your house. That's why you have what? Security. You have ADT. You have somebody to keep, his, keep watch over your house at night while you slumber and you sleep. Well, guess what? Guess what keeps watch over you when the day of the Lord shall return? What keeps watch over you? Thank you, God, for this revelation. What keeps watch over you as far as the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night is, here we go, your lifestyle. Your lifestyle. If you live right, you have no reason to be afraid of when the Lord returns. If you're doing what God tells you to do, you have no reason to be afraid of, of, of the Lord's turn. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what this is. That's, that's, what, this, that's what this really boils down to. And it's going to be like a thief. Okay? It's, it's going to be like a thief. We don't know when. We don't know how. It, whenever a thief breaks into your uh, a home, you don't know if the thief is coming through the window, going to break down the door, or what. We don't know how or when Jesus will return. That's why Jesus says what? We ought to be all so ready. We're told in Matthew 42 that, that watch therefore for you don't know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you don't know when. We don't know when. 
But when Jesus do return, it's going to be swift, it's going to be sudden, it's going to be unexpected. And for those who do not believe in him, it's going to be terrible. But for those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for those of us who are living according to the word of God and doing what Jesus will have for us to do, it will not be a time of trouble. And it will not be a time of sadness, but it will be a time of great joy. A time of great joy. Now, here's really what Peter is trying to drill down to us and help us understand. Peter wants us to understand, no matter how long it takes, the day of the Lord is coming. It's going to come, what? Unexpectedly. It's going to come, what? Without warning. It's going to come how? We don't know. That's why we should live each day as if Jesus will return at any time. Okay? I keep trying to tell you, I love the words of my late mentor, the Reverend Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor, and he said, if you do what Jesus told you to do in the first coming, the second coming will take care of itself. How should we be living? This means that we as disciples of Jesus should be morally clean and spiritually alert. Let me say it again. Morally clean and spiritually alert. Because when Jesus returns, it's going to be an upheaval of the natural order. When Jesus returns, he's coming with judgment. When Jesus returns, what we consider to be the heavens and the earth, and when we talk about the heavens and the earth, we're really talking about this natural realm. This natural realm, watch this, the heavens, the earth, and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, this is strange because we see in verse 10 where it says the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, but then we see a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Now, let's wrestle with this for a moment. Let's wrestle with this for a moment. Because let me tell you what the day of the Lord has as its underpinnings. All right? When the day of the Lord comes, grief, suffering, injustice will be over. Hallelujah. God is going to make all things right. When, when the day of the Lord comes, the world as we know it, the world as we know it will be recalibrated. Everything is going to start new. God is going to clean up this world and set it right. So guess what? It's calling really for what? A new earth. And God's family is going to introduce a new, is introduced to a new eternal home. All right? So Peter uses some things to describe. First of all, the heavens will disappear with a roar that, that describes the end of the world's atmosphere and the sky above. Okay, that's what we talk about heavens, this particular realm. Now, it is interesting to note that 
we're beginning to see some signs of it now. Climate change. Climate change. Let me say that again. Climate change. Um, what, what we're seeing right now happening as far as climate change. Hurricanes are becoming more frequent and stronger. Um, um, we, we're, we're seeing wildfires in, in, in the West. We're seeing different weather phenomena that's happening all over the globe. We're beginning to see some unveilings of that. Um, the elements will be destroyed by fire. Um, there are scholars that think that God is going to recreate what is what we know as the universe. I, I don't know how that's going to happen. That's God's doing. But I do know that God is going to recreate earth. And the earth and everything that's in it will be burnt up. All right. So, so basically what, what, what we're seeing here is we're seeing that Peter is letting us know that the world that is presently constituted and how the world is being presently governed will not last forever. That God is going to step in in a very powerful, major way and, 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 and intervene just like he did with the flood. But in the day, in that day, the judgment will be by fire and everything that we know will be destroyed. And those who presume to take God's delay of his judgment to mean they could do whatever they please will find themselves being surprised when the Lord returns. And here is what I really want to drop on you if you don't get anything else. When the Lord returns, there will be no second chance. When the Lord returns, there will be no escape for those who have chosen to give God what I like to call the middle finger. Those who have chosen to disobey God. All right. Let's look at verse 11. Because Peter says, therefore, since all these things are going to be dissolved, since this world as we know it is going to be dissolved, what should we be doing? He says we ought to be living in holy conduct and godliness. Verse 11. What manner of persons are you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of people should you and I be? He says we ought to be living holy. We ought to be living godly. Now, what is the aspect of living holy? Basically, to live holy means that we ought to be what? Separated and sanctified, set apart from the world, set apart for God. And I'm going somewhere with this. And I hope this blesses you real good. Which means that as a holy people, we can't do everything the culture does. We, we can't look like the culture and change the culture. We, we can't condone everything the culture does. And, and here is really what I want to drill down to. We as disciples of Jesus Christ should be impacting the culture. We should not be letting the culture impact us. 
I declare some stuff, there, there's some stuff I see taking place in churches, and I wonder, am I in a church or am I in a club? Okay? Uh, there's some things I hear being spewed and taught from different churches, and I wonder, that, that, that's, not, that's not in Scripture. That's not biblical. And it's not godly. So, so holiness means that we are set apart from the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? In the world, but not of the world. Or world ought to, there ought to be something different about folks who call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. And then, notice what he says, holy conduct and godliness. That's piety, you all. That's piety. Now, here, here, here is why, 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 why Peter is drilling down on this. Because remember, last time we had talked about scoffers. And these scoffers or doubters were questioning the Lord's return and saying that, well, he hadn't come back yet. He ain't going to come back. And so they led what? Ungodly lives. But we as disciples of Jesus Christ are looking for Jesus to return. And when he returns, we ought to be living in such a way that we do not have any issues with his return. Let, let me see if I can help you with, with, with this. It, it, maybe this is where, where I could put... Um, um, the hay where the cows can get it. If whatever you're doing is of such, do you want the Lord to catch you doing that when he comes back? Ooh! Now, don't go around talking about, well, Lord already knows. Lord knows my heart. No, do, do you really want the Lord to catch you doing some stuff Saying some stuff, thinking some stuff when he returns. Because guess what? You're going to be judged for it. You're going to be judged for it. Here's what I got to help you to understand is being a saved person a person who has confessed Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior, we're still going to be judged. And so whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you do, whenever the Lord returns, whether it's in the next minute, next hour, next day, next uh, week, next month, next year, next decade, next century, next millennial, well, we'll probably be dead by that time. But here's the deal. Do you want the Lord catching you doing that whenever the Lord returns? Because you're going to be held accountable for it. Who? 
Boy, if this is blessing you and you're watching this, just put in the chat, give me some thumbs up, some hearts, or do something. I know I'm messing with somebody's theology now. So let's look at verse 12. Looking for the hastening, looking for and the hastening, the coming of the day of the, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt away. Look at this. As we live holy, as we live godly lives, it should not only cause us to look forward or to anticipate the Lord's return, but also speed up the Lord's return. How is that? How do we as disciples of Jesus Christ speed up the Lord's return? Here it is. The godly lives of the people of God Our prayers and our witnessing help bring others to repentance. Who are you bringing to Christ? Who are you talking to about Christ? Peter then repeats for emphasis the fact that at the commencement of eternity, the day of God, the heavens will be destroyed by fire. The elements will met. In other words, what has been, God is getting ready to create, what? A new heaven and a new earth. Here is how God calls us to prepare for his day. Prayer. Evangelistic zeal. Sharing the gospel with others. And as we pray, as we Engage in evangelism as we share the gospel with others. We are charging the cosmos with energy until God unleashes all God's power in history in this ultimate climatic event. We work together toward, what's this? The coming of the day of God. And only God knows when that's going to be. So you got to cut out the non-essentials. Here's how I, here's the application. Here's the application. Care a little bit more for neighbors and family who don't have any faith. Pray for someone that is doing mission. Help out in your local ministry. Give that donation. Lead somebody to Christ. Let let, let me me tell you, if I could use this as an example. Um, I I, I love science. I love chemistry. And... um, one, one, one of the things that, that I, I've read about is that there's a laboratory in Illinois that um, takes atomic particles and accelerate them to the speed of light, hoping that a few will collide and they can see how these particles make up the atom. The atom is made up of three things, uh, neutron, electron, and protons. 
okay? And, 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 and here's what I want, want you to understand, that it, they, they don't do that in a day. It takes months to prepare for that experiment. Months, okay? Here's what I want you to understand. Just as it takes months to prepare for that experiment at that laboratory in Illinois, just to see how these elements, I mean, uh, atoms are going to bombard to see how the particles are forming and, and what makes up that atom. You and I are basically particles that are speeding up because God is getting ready to reveal his great day. All right. That's what's happening with us right now. So let me, let me, let, let, let's look at verse 13. So the old cosmic system is going to give way to a new heaven and a new earth in verse 13, where the righteous will dwell, where righteousness will be the law of the land. Why? Because Christ will be ultimately and eminently in charge. Now, here's, here, here's the shout of what I'm dropping on you. Because God's purpose for God's people is not destruction, but recreation. That God's purpose is not annihilation, but renewal. God wants to purify the heavens and the earth. And you and I as believers can look forward to the restoration of God's world. This is what God is trying to do. Here, here is the shout of what I'm letting you know right now. The shout is, is that God ain't trying to destroy more so than God is trying to deconstruct so that God can reconstruct. So, what is it that you and I should be doing in the meantime? Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. In other words, he says, look forward to the day of the Lord. Look forward to the day of God. Look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found in him in peace without what? Splot and blameless. What kind of people should we as believers be? Without spot and blameless. We're to be holy and godly. Because guess what? If I'm holy and godly, I'll be what? Without spot and blameless. All right? Uh, to be without spot basically means to be without defect. And how can I be without defect? By remaining in Christ. To be blameless is like the sacrificial animal without a blemish. Okay. Here's what I want, want, want to let, let you know that we as believers should be doing. We cannot become lazy. We cannot become complacent just because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus has left the world and he hasn't returned yet. Instead, you and I should live with anticipated hope and expectation of when he returns. What, what do you want to be doing when Jesus shows up? That's how we should be living our lives. 
That's how we should be living our lives. Because when Christ returns, believers are to live always to please Jesus and get, get rid of any sin that will break our peace with him. That's what we should be doing. What Peter is saying is that those false teachers, they got spots. Those false teachers, they got blemishes. But we as believers are to make it our business to be holy, to live a life of piety, to be godly, and to remain connected to the spotless one. Okay? So, 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 so here, here's, here's, here's the shout for me in, in, in this teaching. You got to stop blaming your lifestyle on the fact of saying I'm only human. Well, you know, I'm only human. God knows my heart. Yeah, God knows your heart. And God knows whether or not you're really saved. While God is a God of a second chance and a third chance and a fifth chance. And, and if you're like me, you got, you've had so many chances, you stop counting. That does not become an excuse to do anything you want to do. I saw someone post the other day that grace, how did they say that? That grace is God's permission for me to be me. And I said, that's a lie. <laughs> so somebody said that grace is God's permission for me to be me. And I tell them, that's a lie. Because you and I, in and of ourselves, are sinners. Who are what? Saved by grace. So if I'm saved by grace, then with me being saved, I don't have the permission to be me. Paul says, shall we sin that grace be abound? No. I know this is not a good teaching because we like... We love to think about God as only being a God of love. You know, that's what a whole lot of folks talk about. God is a God of love. But God is also a God of judgment. And you can't have a God of love without a God of judgment. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, folks. It doesn't work that way. The God of love is also the God of judgment. And there's a whole lot of stuff that we allow and we push that God will ultimately judge. Somebody says it's tight, but it's right. Because notice in verse 15, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Watch this. The only reason that Jesus has not come back yet is because Jesus is trying to give folks a chance to repent. The only reason that the Lord is delaying his return, it ain't a procrastination. He is long-suffering because he's trying to give folks the opportunity to repent. But here's what I want you to understand. If you don't get nothing else, please get this. When he comes back, that's it. 
that's it. That's it. Oh, let me, let me see if I can really help you. Oh, God. Second coming really takes place in two forms. The first one I'm teaching about right now, that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. You know, judgment, da-da-da-da-da. But for a lot of us, for anyone who has died, you have already endured second coming. Because <laughs> guess what? Once you die, that's it. Let me take off my glasses. Let me look into the camera. I want you to see my eyes, and I want you to hear me well. Anyone who has died is experiencing what I call second coming. Because guess what? Once you die, there is no other chance. That's it. That's it. Let me say that again. That's it. Either Jesus is going to come back and, 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 and uh, as far as in a very catastrophic, sovereign way, or he comes back when you die. The only reason that the Lord has been long-suffering is because he's trying to give people the chance to respond to the message of the gospel. We are living in a time right now where this is the best opportunity for the church to be the church because it's a whole lot of folks, particularly here in America, who need to hear the gospel, who need to have the gospel shared with them. And we need to get away from cultural Christianity and get back to historical biblical Christianity. We need to get back, we need to get away from the culture of an Americanized Christianity that is connected to nationalism and governmental entities and, cooper and corporations. And you uh, uh, nab it, grab it, name it, claim it, get it, get it. To understanding that being a follower of Jesus Christ means that you're going to have to endure some things you don't want to endure. That being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than just being woke. Because it's some woke folks that don't know Jesus. That being, being a follower of Jesus Christ means that anything that I do as far as the agent of change and, and reconciliation and transformation ought to emanate from my understanding of who Jesus Christ is from his death, burial, and resurrection and then allow for me to impact my surroundings. Now, now notice something here. Let's look at, I'm still on verse 15. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So, here is Peter talking about Paul. And, and it's interesting to note that even though Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and he's considered to be kind of the leader of the church at Jerusalem, Paul came along, Paul was converted, Paul was ministering to the Gentiles, Peter and the others were basically ministering to the Jews. They knew each other. 
Peter read his letters. Peter considered his letters to be what? Authoritative. Are y'all are y'all with me? And 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 and, and it's this, the Lord's patience that leads towards repentance. And this is what Peter, not Peter, Paul wrote about in Romans. When you look at Romans chapter two, verse four, it says, "Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance?" So, so, so. Peter and Paul knew each other on more than a first name basis. In fact, there was some conflict between Peter and Paul. Okay? There was some conflict, uh, especially in, 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 in Peter's dealing with the Gentiles. Peter and Paul had very different backgrounds. Peter was a fisherman. Paul was a very scholarly uh, Jew that took up tent making. Peter was part of Jesus's trusted advisors as far as the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. Paul had an encounter with the risen and ascended Christ on the road to Damascus. Peter was not as learned as Paul was. Paul studied under one of the best uh, teachers of his day, Gamaliel. All right. The interesting thing is that Peter studied under the best teacher of all, Jesus. Paul had credentials. But Peter was exposed to the character and the content of the Christ. Okay? Paul, in his writings, really talks about how you and I are saved by grace, justification of faith. Paul talked about how if we're saved, we ought to be what? Living a certain way and serving. Okay? And so what we see here is that Peter is lifting up Paul and saying, Paul has written to us. He has wisdom. He's smart in his epistles. Look, look, look at verse 16. As in all of his epistles, we're talking about Paul's epistles, speaking in them these things which are some things hard to understand. Now, let's be honest. Paul was... Sometimes Paul was so smart that he talked over folks' heads. It's like, it, it, you know, it, it's like the, 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 the folks of the church said, uh, preacher, make it plain. So, so, so Paul had to at times make it plain. All right. The teachings of the apostles were never distorted by the person or area of ministry. If the letter came from Paul or came from Peter, the message could be dependent on the same for it had come from God himself. Just as Peter wrote letters, Paul wrote letters. And, and, and here's what I'm getting ready to, to help you to understand. They were both aware that in their letters, they were speaking and articulating God's word just like the Old Testament prophets. 
Now, some of the readers may have dismissed Paul writing because it was hard to understand. All right. But the false teachers would try to intentionally misconstrue Paul's writings by distorting Paul's writings to condone living any kind of way. And Peter is saying, no, can't do that. That's what it meant when he said untaught and unstable people. No, you can't do that. Because guess what? Untaught and unstable people will try to twist, twist the scripture to fit their, their own meaning. And it just blows my mind at some stuff I hear people say when it comes to the scriptures. I mean, do you know that we even have church folks that, 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 that say it's okay for them to drink and get drunk because Paul said you ought to have a little wine for your stomach. Be, be for real. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, ought to be seeking what? Understanding. And, and, and I guess I get in trouble sometimes because I say some stuff that, that, that I say stuff to try to correct people's ignorance. Because if you say something ignorant, I'm going to correct it, especially when it's not in Scripture. Because I don't want you to be walking in ignorance. Verse 17. Let me, let me go ahead and conclude. I, I, love, I love the way that, that, that Peter writes because when we see in verse 17 where he says, you therefore beloved, that, that word beloved, he's calling them friends again. Since you already know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Now, this is where I really, I want to take the next seven or eight minutes to really drill down on these two verses. Because this is the crux of the matter. And this is the very essence of both letters of Peter. Peter is saying, since you know this beforehand, or since you already know this, the word know in the Greek is prognoskonos, prognoskotos which is where we get the English word prognosis. And if you know anything about a prognosis, a prognosis is a medical term. And whenever a medical prognosis is made, a patient is better able to prepare him or herself for what is ahead and when possible or if possible, make changes. Okay? Whenever a doctor says, I'll give you a prognosis, if you continue to eat as much as you want to, you're going to have some heart problems in the future. You know that beforehand. Doctors have given me plenty of prognosis. Whenever I go to the doctor and my A1C number is up, doctor said, uh, if you continue doing what, you, what you're doing as far as your eating habits are concerned, pretty soon we're going to put you on the needle for insulin. That's a prognosis. So either I could do what? Change my eating habits. 
change my exercise habits, or sooner or later, doc say, okay, go to Walgreens and get you some insulin. Okay? So what, 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 what Peter is saying is, I'm giving you the information beforehand. I'm giving you the information beforehand. And he's saying you got to be on guard lest you fall away from your own steadfastness. In other words, he is saying um, you got to be careful. I'm giving you the prognosis. I'm giving you the warning. Uh, I'm letting you know what's coming down the pipe because you too can become polluted by false teaching. In other words, in other words, um, Peter is saying you got to be careful not to be led astray. He's talking about false teachers who intentionally and inevitably cause believers to be led astray. When you're not grounded in truth, you will find yourself falling prey to arguments that seem logical or beliefs that seem easy to understand. Okay? I'm trying to help you here. If, if, if you don't study the word, if you're not in a Bible teaching, Bible believing, Bible practicing church, you will find yourself going astray. And, 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 and we see it God knows we see it in the culture today where people would try to take scripture to justify their life. We see it in politics. We see it in the culture. Can I, can I just say this for free? There's going to be some Democrats and some Republicans or who are going to have to give an account on how they have misinterpreted the word of God. There's going to be some liberals and some conservatives and folks in between that's going to have to give an account how they have misused and misappropriated the word of God. How they try to get God to say something they want God to say rather than just take God at what God means. So this is what Peter is talking about. Verse 18 is the crux of the matter. And uh, as I was saying my sermon, and I'm closing here. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. To grow in grace. Grace is not subjective. Oh, God, I feel like hollering. Grace is not just based on your experience or your emotional happening or how you're feeling inside. That ain't grace. Paul says, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. No matter where you and I are on our spiritual journey, no matter how mature we are, the culture, the sinful world will challenge our faith. 
All of us have room to grow. All of us are in the process of becoming. Grow in grace so that you understand that you're living by the grace of God alone. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. Given to me. Don't deserve it. It's the process of, of me growing spiritually. Grow in grace so that you realize that everything you have is a result of God's grace. Grow in the grace and, watch this, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That word knowledge is not only just head knowledge, but it's also what? Relationship. It's relationship. This, this growth in knowledge takes place as you search and study the scriptures. This growth in knowledge takes place as you pray. This growth in knowledge takes place as you listen to sound teaching. This growth in knowledge takes place as you apply that teaching to your daily living. When you do that, you don't need to be afraid to be influenced by false teachers because they can't influence you. This knowledge is not just any kind of knowledge. It is the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who is divine and omnipotent. The one who is the Savior of the world. The one that has died for our sins. To him be glory both now and forever. Let me close on this. You've been warned. Now what? Over, over the last few weeks, I've tried to show you what false teachers and false uh, prophets and, 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 and false preachers look like. You've been warned. Now what? Here's what we're to do. Another application. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Study your Bible. Pray. Talk with other disciples for learning and growing worship live in a godly way in your home on your job in the marketplace at school choose God's way as far as how you're going to govern your life discover all that we can about this world that God has created and stand strong for justice and mercy, forgiveness, and truth. That's how, watch this, we bring him glory now and forever. That's how we bring him honor now and forever. That's, that's how we bring him praise now and forever by applying the grace and knowledge to our everyday lives. You can't grow in grace and knowledge and you're not in the word. You can't grow in grace and knowledge if you're not practicing the word. You can't grow in grace and knowledge if you don't believe the word. You can't grow in grace and knowledge if you're not living it. I'm not just giving you this stuff for head knowledge. I'm giving you this stuff so you can apply it to your lives. All right? And here's where I really want to, 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 to bear down. Stop making excuses for when you mess up. Get back up and don't be satisfied with messing up. Don't, 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 don't become content with wallowing in the mud. 
Do the things that are necessary so you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, here's the issue in a lot of churches, and I close on this. We, 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 We love to shout, sing, maybe get good preaching, but when it comes to teaching and application and doing, a whole lot of us fall by the wayside. Why? Because we are in love with the idea of who God is, but not in love with who God is. Because when I'm in love with who God is, then I'm going to do what God tells me to do. See, knowledge is intimacy. And and, and it's hard to be intimate with someone you don't like. Now, when when I talk about intimacy, a whole lot of folks' mind go to sex and stuff like that. You can have sex with somebody you don't like or even don't know. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about intimacy. I ain't talking about physicality. I'm talking about intimacy. I'm talking about an unveiling a, a depth. Well, that, that, that concludes um, our time together. And um, before I close out, of course, this will be the last Bible study until September. Um, um, but I want to encourage if you're watching us right now that if you feel led to give, if you feel led to share here as far as the work of St. Paul is concerned, um, you have the opportunity to do that. You can give um, by either bringing uh, check, cash, and money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, uh, 28205, or, uh, and make sure that, that, that if you decide to do that, call the church at 704-334-5309. Make sure someone is here to receive your offering, or you can mail it to the church at that same address. The other way you can, you can give is by going to our website uh, through ACS or um, Church Life. You can give. And then a final way you can give is through Givelify. And in three clicks, um, you, can, you can give. And so if you feel led to do that right now, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, so that we can continue to carry on the work, the ministry, the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ into a world that needs to know him so desperately. Um, we're going to, of course, uh, take a break as far as Bible study is concerned. We're going to come back in the fall and, um, um, and, and pick back up just as school has come back in. But let me just share this before I close. Uh, here at St. Paul, we're in the process of preparing to come back into our church and uh, on the first Sunday in, in August. And uh, we're making preparation to receive you as far as protocols and security is concerned. So I can't wait till that happens. Before I go, let me see if there are any questions. Uh, I don't see any questions or any comments as far as chat room is concerned. So I hope and pray that you all have been blessed by today's sharing. 
Lord said the same. I'll see us, see you all back in Bible study on uh, in September. And uh, until then, do me this favor. Take about 15 minutes a day. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Find your devotional. Read your Bible. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. I guarantee it'll bless your life. Listen, I love you. God loves you even more. Be safe. Stay cool. Continue to wash your hands. Wear your mask. Practice physical distancing. This Delta virus ain't no joke. If you haven't been vaccinated, if you feel led, please get vaccinated as soon as possible. My whole staff here is fully vaccinated. And we've done that not only for our safety, but for yours as well. People that are being hospitalized and are dying right now because of the Delta variant, over 98% of them have not been vaccinated. That's the science, you all. That's the science. So I need you to take care of yourself. Listen, God bless you all. Have a smile upon you. And let us continue to work until the Lord returns.